I'm Daria Rose, and this is The Foodist Podcast, where real people use real food to get healthy and lose weight without dieting. Hello, friends, and welcome again to The Foodist Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Mark, who is a foodist success story. Um, talking to Mark was really interesting for me. You can, I'm sure you'll be able to tell when you listen to the episode. I kind of get out of coaching mode a few times because I'm just super intrigued by his story. Um, he actually reminds me a lot of like a, like a male version of myself <laughs> in the sense that he starts out as an athlete. He was a power lifter and sort of in that context, eating what he thought was healthy and right, but really not at all. And if you know my history, I was, I was in ballet and I was a runner and I did all these things and I thought I was always eating appropriately for my goals in my athletics, but I ended up, I was not eating well at all. Anyway, so when Mark kind of stopped doing as much athletic stuff, he gained some weight and he started having stomach issues and, and energy issues. And ultimately he stumbled upon the same source as I stumbled upon, which is Michael Pollan and um, real food and completely overhauled his diet and ended up losing 70 pounds, uh, which is crazy. I, like, I don't, he wasn't, his goal wasn't even to get that, uh, get so lean, but it was just the result of him making a bunch of changes and tweaks here and there with his diet and just trying to troubleshoot issues he was having. One of the things I want you to pay attention to when listening to this episode is, I mean, I just, I think Mark's attitude is just absolutely contagious. Every single thing he approaches, he approaches with curiosity, with an open mind, with an open heart, and with the fundamental belief that, you know, all I have to do is figure this out. And there's no reason this has to make my life worse. And it's it's really striking. I mean, this is it's a very long conversation that we have. And over and over and over again, he just comes up with something positive to say about the process of becoming a foodist. And it's funny, it's like I'm I'm listen I listen to him talk and he gets so darn excited about vegetables and learning to cook and stuff that's like to anybody who like pretty much anybody besides me, um, I feel like that is not exciting stuff. But when you hear Mark talk about it, he just he just is so excited and and it's it's really cool to hear. And I think that for somebody who's really struggling with health and for and see it as a problem to solve and a burden and a chore, listen to Mark and listen to how it's it could sound. You know, I'm not going to say you have to do everything just like him or ever be as excited about he, uh, your health and food and cooking and vegetables as he is, but just his attitude and the way you can, he is, he's able to reframe his approach to these, what most people can think are very boring things is really, really cool. I highly recommend it. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is listen all the way to the end because um, we have some really interesting discussions. I mean, we kind of we kind of go deep <laughs> on some things, and um, we at the end we start getting into some really interesting stuff about mental frameworks and having an internal locus of control, meaning you feel like you control your own destiny, and how you can go about cultivating that and why that's so important. So give it a listen. Um, it's a it's a 
bit of a different type of success story than we've heard before because Mark really did a lot of different things to overhaul his health style. But I think it, I think it's worth listening to and particularly listen for the the mental game that he plays, the attitude, the framing, the frameworks that he uses to make this so that he loves it and it's making his life so much better. So give it a listen and let me know what you think. Hello and welcome, Mark. How's it going? Good. How about you, Daria? It is great. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show and share your success story. No, thank you. Uh, it's been uh, quite the journey for me. And, you know, I think I got a, a couple of tidbits that could help some people and something they can relate to. So I'm glad I could have a voice. So that's great. Awesome. Well, why don't you start by giving us a little bit of background of how you came here? Like, where, where did you start? What, what was the beginning like for you? Um, yeah, so I'll just give you a heads up. I'm, I'm 26. And most of my life, I was really into sports, um, even into like powerlifting. I even did the very quote unquote meathead powerlifting events um, in high school and in like the first half of college. And so I was very, I was very into nutrition and eating the right things, or at least I thought were the right things and everything <laughs> like that. But the second half of college, I, you know, I went out, I trained for these events. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink. I'd, I'd eat very strict, again, strict to what I thought was the right way of eating. But then the second half, I was like, I'm going to live life of college. So that wasn't really the focus anymore. And about three years of training pretty hard still, but you know, nutrition wasn't really the main focus. I went from like 5'9", 200 pounds, and like thick and strong in competition days to 230 and not as strong as I was at 200 and as around like June of 2014 and I saw a picture of myself and I'm sure some of your other people you've had on here have seen that picture that just like you come full circle and you really aren't the picture of who you thought you were. Kind oh, of so you're like, is I, that me? Yeah. And I mean, of course I saw photos before that that I was like, oh yeah, like maybe I'm five pounds heavier than I should be or You know, I, I really, I'm not as fit as I used to be. But, um, so I see this picture and I, and I actually had, um, I started to get sick. I won't go into too much detail, but basically I had to get a colonoscopy. And at age 24, getting a colonoscopy, uh, didn't seem like typical to me. Right. And, uh, the doctor said, listen, you're not eating right. You're eating a bunch of processed junk. Um, you're eating way too much sugar, like not even like fruit sugar, just like the garbage sugar, energy drinks and everything. And then to add on top of that, it was kind of this triple threat of, I was starting my own business. I was going into starting my own tech company and, uh, I was starting to get brain fogs. I wasn't able to push myself. And I had this almost manic personality where like the highs were really high the lows were really low. And I was like, shit, why am I starting this company if I'm in horrible health? And my, <laughs> my mental state isn't that great either. So I did what I did when I needed to do something well. I, I did a bunch of research and I started reading a lot of Tim Ferriss, uh, Michael Pollan, 
uh, this guy named Vinny Tortorich. I, I hadn't found Summer Tomato yet. Mm-hmm. And they were all around the idea of really getting the source of food. Eat food in its most natural state. Eat ingredients that aren't processed. And a lot of it also is focusing on no grains and no sugar. All three of those guys, a lot of them. And I actually am not going to sit here and pound the table that sugar is bad and grains are bad. It's not really my uh, thing to say, but Michael Pollan would always say, bread only takes two ingredients to make it, wheat and water. But when you buy it, it has 31 ingredients. Right. So if you want to make your own bread, yeah, those two ingredients aren't that bad. So you had like this perfect storm where you sort of pictured yourself as a strong athletic guy. Mm -hmm. And then you saw this picture of yourself where you're like, I'm not so sure I'm this healthy athletic guy I always thought I was. Mm -hmm. And then you had this health scare. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, you were starting a company and, and you realized that you something had to change that you weren't really actually taking care of yourself the way you wanted to be. Yeah, no, you, you summed it up perfectly. And then, yeah, and then, and then, so you started doing research, um, mm-hmm. and and you realized that the way you thought was healthy eating when you were training and and powerlifting wasn't actually serving you well. Exactly, and it wasn't sustainable. And I I started to really focus on the long, my life and the longevity of it. And in order to live a long, healthy, quality life. I was literally doing the exact opposite in all aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I made this change. And, and so it sounds like the change you made was really just cutting down on processed foods. Yeah. And also how I was training as well from like an a activity standpoint. So trying to squat 500 pounds. Oh, you were still doing that. I was still trying to do that. It wow. was Yeah. And of course, if I tried to run, if I went over half a mile or a mile, I was, I was winded. I was, and then I was just like, wow, I just really need to change this up. So both from a, like a sort of longevity perspective and a performance perspective, you knew you realized that you weren't really giving your body the fuel it needs to be at its best. Correct. Correct. And then even with the natural foods, I really started to focus on inflammation Mm-hmm. And there was just so much inflammation. Like I'd had these knee knee pains and everything. And a lot of what I read was, you know, if you have these more nutrient-dense foods focused on vegetables, you know, you can really truly cure some of the the issues you can have with pain. And then not just inflammation from a physical standpoint, from but inflammation like in your brain, so to help you think. And like now it's June of 2016 and in the first year is when I lost my weight. I went from 230 pounds to 160 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And uh, wow, that's really lean. Yeah, and you know, if you, if you saw a picture of me now, you, you'd say, "Oh, that, that like I'm I'm healthy. I'm not I'm not extra thin. Like I still love to to lift weights. I'll run more, but um." I cook everything. And that's like, that's what the big thing is. Like I'm starting this company. So I needed to save as much money as possible. So I learned if I cook my meals and I buy ingredients instead of meals, I can save a lot of money. Interesting. It was a practical thing as much as possible. If I can put a pound of meat or two pounds of meat in a slow cooker with a few pounds of vegetables, 
I got a lot of meals and it only cost me what it would cost me maybe two meals at Chipotle. Um, Interesting. So you actually, I think you might've just answered, but I have a question. One of the, I mean, obviously I know a ton of people doing startups all the time and their mm -hmm. number one complaint is always time. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, I can't cook. I don't have time. And you're like, well, I can't afford not to cook. It's true. Yeah. So, so did you, so, you, so you, I was just wondering how you were able to, what was the logic like in your head? Cause that's clearly a different logic than most people that I know <laughs> to get in the startups. So my, my logic was I need to be as efficient as possible with my time and I need to put as much food in my body that can help me push myself in my job. So I was like, I need to eat a lot of vegetables and I, I can't be driving around to somewhere to buy it. People say like, oh, Chipotle is quick and easy. I'm not trying to criticize Chipotle, but I'd rather make my meal and also listen to a podcast where the podcast I'm educating myself on software development, entrepreneurship, listening to foodists. You know, every time I'm cooking, I'm also listening to something for my education. Mm -hmm. So I never feel like I'm wasting my time cooking because it's just like therapy of education while also being relaxed while cooking. Because as you know, like cooking, like if you put a little extra of one spice or whatever, it's, it doesn't ruin the meal. If right. anything, you learn there's more flavor involved if you mess up. <laughs> so that's really what I did. So a lot I of stuff was, go ahead. I said, I love it. You, you, so you really took your, the, the attitude you had wasn't all I have time for is my startup. You said, you know, I, I can't be wasting money. I need mm -hmm. to be efficient. I need to fuel my body. So you know, that is a big one that a lot of people miss. They don't see the connection between what they eat and their performance, their mm -hmm. mental performance. Mm -hmm. And you made that connection. Exactly. And like, trust me, it, it, it wasn't easy. And me saying, oh, yeah, in one year I lost 70 pounds and that's what happened. I mean, it was, it was really hard. And like, there's so many things, again, I just kept learning. And that was like my big thing with my job. And I just translated it to my health was don't ever get complacent with what you know. And like, if you think something is true, challenge it and like, try to figure it out. Can you give an example in the... Yeah. So um, for me, and this is kind of my growth, like dairy, for example, early on, I was just like, all right, if I cut out sugars and I cut out or if I added, take out added sugars and I take out processed grains, like I'm fine. Like I'll be good. But then I started to realize I was drinking a lot of whole milk and eating a lot of cheese. And I wasn't thinking about it. I was just eating. And I was like, oh, if I'm, as long as, as long as I'm eating cheese and drinking milk, I'm eating how I'm supposed to eat. But I just, I wasn't thinking about what I was putting in my body. I wasn't like, I'm hungry. I should eat it or I should drink it. It was more to kill time, kind of like how you snack on chips. And, hmm. and it just, the, the dairy in the moderation or in the quantity I was eating just became overeating, just like how you overeat anything. And it just became inflammatory. And so I think six months or nine months into the, that first year of the losing the weight, I was, I was talking to my girlfriend as I'll tell every, any guys, the girlfriend is usually right. Um, <laughs> she was like, you're eating a lot of cheese and drinking a lot of milk. And like, don't you care about, aren't you, aren't you on this whole health kick? And I was like, well, it's nothing wrong with it. And she was like, are you sure? Like, could be pretty inflammatory, you know, especially the amount at which you are eating it. And so I did, you know, a classic sample size of one test with my own self. 
and went three weeks with really cutting back and I had less knee pain. I, I lost five pounds and like literally this like puffiness that I had, even though I lost some weight had decreased. Hmm. And so I'm constantly experimenting with something I'll learn. And I always just like when someone is writing uh, a newspaper article, they need two sources before they before they claim it. I always need two sources before I experience. I'm not just reading something and then um, and then trying it out on myself. I see. I'm, I'm so, not a human hamster, but uh, so you're you. It's, well, I mean, it sounds like you approached your your health like a bunch of small experiments mm-hmm. rather yeah. than one big sort of overwhelming project. Yeah, and I'm and I and I'm not judging it based on the scale. You know, I think a lot of people do get hung up on the weight. Like that's what the scale says is an indicator, and if you're eating the right things. But for me, like I really would do some self examination of how I'm how I'm able to think and like the balancing effect. You know, I I mentioned I had this almost manic personality before I started this, but now it's a, a very balanced. Like my highs aren't as high, my lows aren't as low. And, um, there's a clarity in how I think. And I, I don't know if I'm getting too deep into the weeds or. No, I like it. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, if you notice a connection with how your emotions and how your thoughts are regulated and you've, you've seen it tied to your, your eating habits, I mean, that's really, it's really profound. And, and, and I like that you're doing that because I mean, that's the only way you get insight. I mean, most people think that if they just follow a plan that like, I give them or someone gives them that they'll like magically have the results. But the way you make progress is by listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And for me, listening to myself, I had to cut back on dairy. For some people, if they listen to themselves, their bodies can't handle the dairy. Like if I got tested, I, pr- I probably am lactose intolerant, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people will be like, oh, like when I eat like cheap Chinese food, my stomach hurts. That's okay. You know, your stomach hurts because maybe you aren't eating something you should be eating. And so if there's a pain in your body, that usually isn't natural. And so I would really just pay attention if there was a pain, you know, in my stomach or in my knees or if I couldn't think, you know, I, I used to always assume, oh, if, if I have this brain fog, it just, just, oh, it's that time of the month kind of thing for me. <laughs> I got a brain fog, but that's not a, that's not a normal thing. And so that's, that's a really great point. Yeah. Cause a lot of people assume that if there's a problem, like that's just life yeah. or like, or like that there's, that's, it's outside their control, mm-hmm. but f- almost always, if it has to do with your own body and you don't have like a very specific disease, I mean, obviously a very specific disease can, can cause problems, but even in that sense, you can in that or in that circumstance you can you can still do experiments to help mm-hmm. <laughs> with what you eat and that's a really good way to frame it because you don't just have to be at the mercy of being tired of being you know having a foggy head of being in pain of having an upset stomach of being having anxiety of being distracted like you can impact those things with the thing the things you eat and the exercises you do and the way you take care of yourself every single day no, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And um, I think the the hardest thing, and people say this all the time, is it's not losing the weight. It's it's maintaining the weight or the healthy weight. Like, So I lost the 70 pounds in that first year. And so from June of 2015 to, I guess it's only 
late April, but almost like a year of maintaining this, this weight I was at. And, um, that, that taught me that's the weight I should be at, you know, cause I, I'm not, I'm not thinking about, I don't, I don't jump on the scale a lot. I, I, I used to tell myself not to, now it's, it's built into my habit not to jump on the scale. And again, I'm not even anti-scale. I just, I don't want my, the weight on the scale to be how I measure if I'm eating the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, in the last year, it's, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this was this phenomenon with social eating where eating healthy is more of a stigma than eating unhealthy. And there's more comments, even from friends and family, not even if you're telling them, like, I'll, I'll go to a meal and I'll order something, what I want, which is, you know, a plate of, of vegetables and a protein and maybe a fat or something like that. And they'll say, whoa, 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 like make us feel bad or whoa, 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 you know. <laughs> like you're the one shoveling nachos in their face. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's not that I don't care what they don't eat. It's just not really on my radar. So like what anyone else would eat, I'm not even processing it. But like what I order is, and, and not just me, if anyone orders something healthy, I really notice there is this reaction from people. But when you eat something that can cause you physical harm, it's like, ah, oh, they're really kicking back and enjoying themselves, you know. But when I order something that is actually going to make me feel good, it's more of a this stigma. So I'm curious if you've experienced that or if you've you've noticed that. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought it up because it's funny. Like this was actually one of the topics that made me realize that when I, because when I first launched Summer Tomato back in, the Stone Age. Um, <laughs> and I was telling people, eat real food, eat real food, shop at the farmer's market. It actually tastes mm-hmm. good and it's vegetables. <laughs> and people would respond to my message and I tell them my story. People mm-hmm. would respond to my message and say, oh yeah, that's great for you. Um, and, and then they'd, they'd list off all the reasons why they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that came up often was peer pressure. Mm-hmm. social pressure, whether from their family, whether from their friends, or even just their environment at, at school or work or whatever, just how it wasn't conducive to making better choices. And we forget, like, it's easy to forget. You, It's easy to rem- forget that, like, your health isn't just, like, decisions you make about yourself, mm-hmm. that we are social creatures, and we eat three times a day, and it's a big part food is a big part of our social life. And there's, and we can't help but naturally want to conform somewhat to the, the, the norms of our culture. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, yeah, when you start making changes, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, people have opinions. Oh yeah. And it can be really tough because not only do people have new opinions about what is and isn't healthy, which can be super annoying, but there's also pressure to to not people don't want you to be better than them. No. <laughs> I think that's big people's biggest fear to be confronted with someone that they think is better than I like I I I really don't want to be like I'm on this like high horse or anything, but like it's like a weird phenomenon to me, the negativity towards someone trying to take care of themselves. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's tough because 
on the one hand, like you want your friends, right? Like you want mm-hmm. to, you'd love to, you know, on one hand, you kind of want to be like, laugh and be like, yeah, you're right. That's stupid. Just because mm-hmm. that's what they want you to say. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, you want to stick to your guns and like not feel bad about it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, that's a really good point. It, for me, I, my, my friends kind of, you're close friends, you know, like, you know, if they're a real friend, you know, they, they respect what you're doing. And I have friends now that they don't, they don't make any comments or whatever. You know, you have a family member and I, I will laugh most of the time and say, Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a nut job or like, yeah, I'm kind of crazy or something like that. Uh, but I normally finish it with, yeah, but it makes me feel good. Or I think you'd be surprised how good this tastes. Um, so I normally put a little combination of both and try not to have much of a tone or anything like that because as I'm sure you've learned through all this is someone's not going to make any changes unless they really, unless they really want to, you know? Right. And if, if you try to get preachy to them, it really turns them off. And so they need to figure it out on their own. Good for you. You, you, you came up with the solution on your own. I have a whole chapter about this Mm -hmm. in foodist Mm -hmm. about dealing with friends and family because it's so difficult Mm -hmm. and you, you nailed it the way you're supposed to handle it or the, the most effective way to handle it is so what I, th- I feel like what people want when they're sort of poking fun at you or laughing at you for being different from them. And especially in a, like a supposed virtuous way is th- it's fear, mm-hmm. right? So the first step is acknowledging cause they're, they're, it's fear that they're not doing it, that they should be doing it, that you're going to be better than them. Like whatever it is, like it's probably a lot more nuanced than that. And everybody's going to be a little different, but understanding that, they are reacting to fear of something being different, something changing. People don't want change. And so you sort of have to hold that perspective with a little compassion and be like, you know, this person doesn't get it. Like they're looking at me from a different perspective and from their perspective, I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, recognize that and, and realize that kind of what upsets them and disturbs them is, is that, you know, that, that contrast. And really, if you think about what that means, it means it's, it's a fear about them. Mm-hmm. It's not really about you. And so if you can reframe the criticism in a way that the answer is like, look, this has nothing to do with you. It's just me. It's mm-hmm. just like, because no, nobody can argue with your personal feelings. Oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, but like they, they can pretend and they can they can like joke, but like at the end of the day, like you're like if you're like this actually makes me feel good. Like mm-hmm. they can be like, no way, this hot dog will make you feel better, and be like, I've had a hot dog before. Like this makes me feel good. This, I'm doing this for me. Um, that and and especially if, like you said, you don't get defensive and you do have a little sense of humor about it, you can diffuse that tension. Mm-hmm. And and ninety nine percent of people are going to drop it at that point. Absolutely, no. That's that. That's a really good point. And it's you know, it's it's it, you just kind of have to play it also like a case by case basis too. You know, because most of the time they just want to get their their jab in and not really continue the conversation. Right. And that seems to be the big thing. I was I was going to give you props as well. I wish I really wish I would have found your your site before I started this process or earlier. I I saw you on Product Hunt is when I first saw the Foodist podcast. Hmm. And that's when I originally reached out to you. You were on there a few months ago? Yeah, my first episode when I launched, um, the founder put me up there, which I was very flattered by. No, yeah, it was, 
it was great to see my, my partner actually was like, Hey, like, I think you'd be really into this foodist thing. And, uh, your seven habits of highly effective foodists is probably my favorite article of yours. And, um, no, yeah, it's great. And the grocery shopping thing, it really hit home to me and how you talk about people will say, Oh, I don't have time to grocery shop or whatever, but it is like very therapeutic. And, uh, especially when you go to like the more, uh, natural, uh, farm friendly grocery stores or farmer's market, they normally have some nice music going on or something like that. Smells good in there. It smells good. And the the amount of vegetables. And that's another thing that I have just become a huge nerd about is our vegetables and knowing like what vegetables are in season and how to manipulate the flavors of vegetables. As you can tell, I can be kind of a nerd when I talk about manipulating flavor of vegetables. You're a foodist. I like, I like, I'm like, you're speaking my language. Like I can talk about that all day. <laughs> you look, you look at a rutabaga and you ask 10 people that you are in the middle of your day about a rutabaga. They probably don't even, they couldn't show you a picture of it, let alone just the different flavors and different preparations of it you can make. And it's just like a very versatile vegetable and it's obviously very nutrient dense. And, um, it's for me, it's just, I make it really fun. And that's another thing is, uh, people talk about cooking as a chore and I, God bless my mother. God bless my family. I didn't grow up with a lot of home cooked meals and, uh, it was a lot of takeout, a lot of going out to eat. So when I graduated from college, cooking a meal to me was the scariest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I thought putting a piece of plain chicken on a grill was, you know, a mad scientist thing. But anyway, so I, I really started to dive into it and just how you can really have fun with spices and preparation and ha- how you even how you even chop a, a rutabaga or how you uh, the, the things you can do with cauliflower and like like exploring like you almost look at the nutrients and vegetables as maybe potential like superpowers you can give yourself. And cause like, Oh, you know, more magnesium means like your brain can perform better. Oh my gosh. Like that's, that's this amazing thing or, Oh, vitamin D can be found in this vegetable and oh, vitamin D can do this for me. And this is so wonderful. I like, I like, I'm listening to you talk and I, I hear myself <laughs> Like, like you understand, I can tell why I started a blog about this oh, like yeah. seven years ago, because I mean, it, it actually sounds like we had a pretty similar journey. Uh, you didn't know how to cook. Mm-hmm. Your friends thought you were a weirdo. Mm-hmm. You had the background in athletics, but we're totally doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And then you discovered uh, all my favorite people too, Michael Pollan, Tim Ferriss. Oh. And, um, and just started making these little changes. And then you discover another universe that mm-hmm. is so much cooler than you thought it was. Mm-hmm. Like, who knew vegetables were so exciting? I know. It's just so <laughs> diverse. And it's when you, when you look at what a food can provide you, and I'm not just ta- like some people say, like, I eat the fuel. That's, that is important. But like, eat to taste and just the flavor you can create. And oh, like, don't get me started that fats are actually a good thing. And the flavor you can get from mixing coconut oil or olive oil with, with, with ginger root 
or uh, a horseradish root mixed with with broccoli steamed in like the different like you talk, you talk about Michael Pollan. So Michael Pollan is just this mad scientist that is maybe the coolest guy walking this earth, and just how he looks at flavor and um, also to, to highlight your seven habits of effectively foodist is a uh, when you talk about chew thoroughly and that's when you can really have this experience with this thing you've created with cooking and right. Suddenly you don't have to wolf down your food in two seconds because it actually tastes like something. Exactly. And every, every bite's unique and you get a little bit more of the pepper that you added or a little bit of the salt and it just is different taste. And, you know, when I hear people telling me all the reasons they can't be healthier. Mm-hmm. They can't, I don't have time to cook. I don't know how to cook. I don't like vegetables. Like you didn't look at a single one of those things. Th- those were true for you. I mean, for the most part, mm-hmm. you just ate processed food your whole life. Yeah. And you, but instead of looking at every single one of those things as an obstacle that you can't do, or that is mm-hmm. going to make it impossibly hard for you to take the reins and take control mm-hmm. of your health, you looked at each of these as an experiment, a an exploration, as an opportunity to learn. And you have embraced it. And the sheer passion that is coming out, like, I don't know what your career is, but <laughs> I feel like you should like be a chef or something. <laughs> like, I just, I love it. My, my, my girlfriend, I always say like, when I, hopefully I can, hopefully this whole tech thing goes well and I can retire at a young age and we could start our own like, well, I, I actually make my own my own nut butters, and I, I I'm I'm a nut uh, evangelist uh, through and through. I know people are so allergic to nuts, so they can't everyone can't eat them. But uh, I'll get with the blender and I'll put in certain nuts with certain spices, and then I'll maybe throw in an egg and bake it, and all of a sudden, like you wow. create this muffin, and you're like, wait, how this flavor get come out of nowhere? And I'm like, oh, if you actually buy Madagascar vanilla bean, you know, there's there's actually you know, not much sugar even in this, but you have more t- flavor in it than if you put in a few teaspoons of sugar. And so I, I, I just became this like exploratory scientist with the food. And she'll always say like, you should, you should sell this stuff. And I'm like, no, it's, it's more for me. And it's, a, it's a way to escape, you know, the stresses of, of life almost is to, put things in a blender and bake it and see if it rises and tastes good. That's amazing. It makes great Christmas gifts, by the way. It, it does. It absolutely does. It sounds like all these things that came to a head, you had basically an epiphany mm-hmm. and then you started experimenting mm-hmm. and you ran into, and every, you know, it sounds like you mainly approached your challenges as, as challenges and not obstacles and were able to sort of, incrementally overcome them one at a time and, and develop a real passion for real food and cooking and all that good stuff. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, if we want to get a little more concrete, like what were some of the first steps you, you took in terms of making changes? I mean, you, you said, yeah. I guess you stopped with grain and sugar. You mentioned that. Yeah. The, the first thing I did was, I threw everything away that I had that was in, that was like a preheat thing or like you microwave it to eat it. That was like my big thing was like, if it's like a pre-cooked meal that's frozen and you, and you buy it and you cook it, if you put it in the microwave, get rid of it. So you just did a purge. You purged the processed foods. 
Yeah, at first. And then I also said to focus, I mean, I I, I was focusing on like the low carb thing at first. It was like, oh, the more protein you can eat, the better. But then it just evolved so much more than that to, uh, I probably don't eat that much protein relative to the people that say they eat high protein, Mm -hmm. where it was more focused on vegetables. And so my big thing is, yeah, I purged myself of this processed food. And then it was make myself breakfast every morning. So I guess the first step I did was make myself breakfast every morning and spend some time doing that. Set aside 30 minutes a morning to make yourself breakfast. And I was like, if I can have a home cooked breakfast, you know, I could get my day started correctly. Cool. And yeah. I like how so- simple and actionable that is. Breakfast is is one of those things. It's like like breakfast is really easy to just nail that. Like you can mm-hmm. just you can just handle breakfast. I mean, anybody, anybody in this universe can like do this. Like it's not that hard. No, exactly. And everyone's like, oh, you know, I roll out of bed and go to work, but everyone feels better when they wake up a little extra early and like hatch. I I don't know if hatching is like a common vernacular, but I always reference like I need to hatch in the morning. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. So it's like, yeah, part of making breakfast is my hatching process and get my brain turned on. So yeah, again, like I don't roll out of bed. I, I allow myself to make breakfast and, you know, I'll listen to an educational or just an entertaining podcast and makes, you know, so I was like, all right, if I make a couple eggs, I, I read how, how, uh, how nutritious eggs were. And if I add a couple eggs, put a vegetable in my eggs, that's a good breakfast. And I was like, if I do that, you know, even if I get caught doing something later, at least I had this like healthy, natural, non-processed breakfast to get started. And I'd say the next step I did was I cut out all alcohol besides tequila. And as a lot of people like tequila, what are you, some like kid on spring break? And uh, for me, tequila was nothing I could drink quickly. It's nothing I wanted too much of either. Interesting. It's also a very clean liquor. Most people don't realize that. Yeah, exactly. I mean the nicer, the nicer. Oh no, yeah, I, the, I would always drink the silver, not the caramelized Cuervo. I would, I, I normally drink a silver tequila. It doesn't really matter besides that. But yeah, the, the decent quality tequila on the rocks with some lime or a club soda. You know, I can't drink that quickly. You know, you, most people can't drink tequila too quickly either. Right. So I wasn't having one more than an hour. So even if I was at like a networking event for my job, I had to go, I had to do a lot of networking stuff. If I'm sipping on a tequila, I'm only having one or one, maybe two. Right. And nobody's going to give you crap for being a wuss. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> anything, I earned a little credibility. Um, and so, yeah, cutting out the beer again, like really was helpful. Cause you know, I, I was having like over 10, not 10, but it was probably six or seven beers a week, maybe, maybe 10, just cause like you have one or two at this event and one or two at another. And like that really adds up. And you know, that really you wake up the next morning and you have a couple beers, even if you're not hung over, you don't feel great. Right. You're like, you're like puffy. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, so taking, so that was kind of the next step was like, Hey, I'm going to have tequila only. That, that was a huge, that was, that made a huge impact. Hmm. And that was probably the first time I really started to get the the whispers and the in the in the the peanut gallery of what the hell are you doing um, with your health and nutrition? Like well, you, you can't drink beer anymore. What's wrong with that? 
uh, I should man up, have a tequila. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, yeah. So how about how about you scarf this down? <laughs> but no, I hear you. Yeah, like it's um, yeah. People start noticing when you start deviating. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and really, the next thing was I told myself, make as much as you can, like cook as much as you can. And then once I started to get pretty good at cooking, I said, don't eat out if you think you can make it taste as good at home. And I don't think I'm like this diamond in the rough chef, but I, I know how to make food taste good mm-hmm. with, with spices, you know, with just the way you, the way you heat something, the way you prepare it, uh, the way you pair it with a protein or a fat. Um, uh, I think I can t- make food taste really good. So for me, it was like, don't go out if you think you can make it taste better. Obviously there's special occasions and there's situations where I'm never going to be that guy. I never want to be that guy where it's like, oh, I'm not going to go out to eat because I got my food at home I'm making. I'll never do that. So you're not sacrificing fun. Exactly. You know, I'm definitely not 100% and I've I've never been a huge advocate for like going cold turkey. You know, I I call it adding life into living. Hmm. Uh, On occasion, you know, once you are happy where you are, there's, there's nothing wrong with adding pretty much anything. There's obviously exceptions to that every once in a while. The problem for a lot of people, fortunately for me, I don't have an addictive personality, so I, I can moderate really well. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I can have like a small bite of something and be good with it. Um, I know some people can't, and that's something they have to decide on their own. But yeah, a couple of times a month, you know, enjoy it. I, if I am going out to eat somewhere with friends, I will try to have maybe a vegetable or something before just because I maybe realize where we're going out to eat there maybe isn't a vegetable and I do that too I mean I it's like it's for for me I mean it's it's just so that I don't overeat something that I know that if I overeat it I'll feel like crap Mm -hmm. you know so it's like even if I'm gonna go out for pizza which I do you know I live in New York and and I'm a food person um I'll I'll just I just always have a salad also so that I don't have three pieces of pizza it's such a great point. Yeah, the, the moderation and the 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 modesty in eating, you know, maybe the foods we're supposed to avoid is is really important. And uh, that's why I've never been a fan of when someone says like a, a cheat day or something like that, you know, because people just become gluttons. Mm-hmm. And but my another thing is for me that's it's more of like the psychological thing is you don't want to feel guilty when you eat foods, like that's, that's not good for your stress. It's not good for me. Like this is all about what's experienced for me. It's huge. And, yeah. And if, and if you're going to have a donut, enjoy that donut. Like, I'm sorry. Like if you eat a donut and then afterwards just feel like you're this horrible person, that's not good for your body. That's worse for your body than having five donuts. In my opinion, you know, it's a great point. Like what's the point mm-hmm. of enjoying life and then not letting yourself enjoy it? Exactly. And like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I do like a good quality donut every now and then. And I, you know what? I enjoy it. And, and you should. And so. You know, it's really interesting to me. I don't know if you know you do this. You have an extensive network of mental frameworks that you're using to make this easy for you. What, how so? What, what, I don't like, for instance, is- when you say things like, I mean, you have like phrases that you use uh, that are very, they have a very distinct meaning to you. Like, don't feel guilty about eating anything. 
mm-hmm. um, inject living into life. Is that what mm-hmm. it was? Life into living, yeah. Life yeah, into exactly. living. Yeah. Like you, you've created these frameworks that allow you to have have it all, really. Like you have both the the health thing situated, but also the flex. You've built in the flexibility by making it these like sort of easy to think about heuristics about what you've decided is how you want to live. It's basically your values, but you're explicit about them, and it's really <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, I I try not to apologize either for it. You know, it's uh, it's been a great journey, and it's just I'm just scratching the surface with it. But and again, I really try not to preach. But if people can be as mindful, I know you're a big advocate of, of mindfulness. The more mindful you can be about the decisions with the food you eat and what you put in your body, the it, the more reflective that is in all decisions you make, and like. The more mindful you are, the more you can enjoy your life. And that's why we're here, right? I mean, essentially. That's so profound. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Um, I, 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 I'm really impressed. Um, you, you only discovered me a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you've internalized almost everything that I write about. And you, you came to it all on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so rare these days because every single thing we're told is the exact opposite of this. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Bravo! Oh, like, I'm, I'm really impressed. I feelings mutual, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, I'm sure uh, some of your old powerlifting friends could uh, learn a thing or two. Yeah, it, that might be a lost cause. They're, I don't want to say how old powerlifters are the same, but they definitely um, have a more pro-science approach to how they're supposed to eat. And in my personal opinion, that's maybe not the best way to, to try to be as strong as possible. Well, props to you for, for breaking that out yeah. of that mold. You know, I mean, it's so easy to just fall into the, the patterns and the, the cultures that you are surrounded by and never stop to question, is this really the way I want to live? And no. you, you, you stopped and you said, actually, no. I like I I believe in this other stuff. I'm going to give it a try, and you've created a whole new life. Well, yeah, thank you. I, that, that was the goal, and I think if I had a 30 minute conversation with the person I was two years ago, I don't think we'd have much in common. And I'm I'm, I'm proud of that. So that's for sure. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, excellent. Well, is there anything you'd like to add for anybody out there who's just getting started or are really inspired by your story, but really doesn't? you know, doubts that they can do it themselves? I, I would just say I, I, a big thing is, you know, it's more about the process. You know, don't get hung up on what the end result. And I think goals are important, but you should really set, you talk about the mental frameworks I have. You know, if you have like a process that you can stick to, you know, that will get you less overwhelmed by this like huge goal you have. So really, I, and this might be against maybe some of you think, but like, I'm really not for goals. I, if there's a process that you believe in and you can stick to, then every then you just have to go it every day. And doing something for one day isn't that hard. And you know, if you just stick to it, it it really starts to have this ripple effect. Interesting. So, so what you're saying is, instead of being focused on the future, mm-hmm. figure out what it you know. Look at the future. Decide if it's actually the future you want, and mm-hmm. and figure out what method it takes to get there and then and then forget the the vision then mm-hmm. do the, then focus on the method 
the yeah, process. Yeah. And that helps you stay in the now. And, uh, and it really just helps you from being overwhelmed. And that's really what I think you talk about. People have that fear of, of, of seeing someone doing something different. People have that fear and they're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I can't do that. Like you, I think you said it earlier, like they'll say like, oh, I can't do that. Or here's a thousand reasons why I can't do it. Then find your method that helps you do it. Right. Like what and, can you do today? Yeah, exactly. And just do it for a week and see if it happens. See if it works. I, I, again, I'm very experimental. And if you do something for a couple of weeks and it doesn't work, then then examine it and see if it, you can uh, adjust. But you always learn something, even from failed mm-hmm. experiments. So there's no harm in like, you know, maybe trying a new breakfast, maybe it doesn't work for you for some reason. Mm-hmm. And like, that's okay. Now you know that that doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Try eggs instead. And, yeah, no, exactly. And, and this people might roll their eyes at this, but really try to make it fun. I mean, don't make it a drag, you know, create like little games for yourself or, you know, think about when you were seven years old and like when you woke up, nothing was a chore. You did the things you wanted to have fun doing. Try to channel that emotion into what you're doing today. I don't know. That seemed a little too much, but <laughs> no, it's th- no, that's, that's not, that's absolutely right. And it's actually mm-hmm. a key component that we hadn't talked about yet, which is habits don't form if you hate them. Mm-hmm. Oh right? yeah. Like, and it, you know, it goes back to, you know, doing things you like versus things you don't like. It's, and are feeling guilty about doing things or not doing things. It's like, figure out what part of figuring out what works for you is acknowledging what you do and don't like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's, it's harder to know what you like and don't like than you realize. So really it's okay to sit there for an hour and not have something you have to do and just kind of think. And I'll say that. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I've been reading a lot about, um, internal locus of control Mm -hmm. and what that means is the, the belief that basically that your fate is in your own hands and Mm -hmm. that you're not, at the mercy of the world around you and that people who can adopt this belief that they have an internal locus of control are just far more likely to make progress and have success um, because they don't see barriers the same way, right? They see it as a challenge. And part of it, I think, again, just this, I'm just like, Totally just talking here. But one thing that I, I thought while you were talking is that another part of the value of having an internal locus of control is you have your own standards, right? If somebody else is, if you're, if you're trying to live up to external world standards, like following a certain diet or weighing a certain amount, or it, like all that's externalized your motivation. Whereas when you internalize that motivation, you are required to ask yourself how you actually feel. Mm-hmm. And that can be scary, I think, for people. And or we don't have a lot of training in doing that. We're so used to being like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Somebody tell me I'm doing it right. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, instead just stop and say like, if this workout doesn't work, like if I don't, if I hate going to the gym because I hate this workout, I should be doing something different. Like there's other ways to be healthy. I like I need to find something I like and the same thing with food. And I think that's a, a really excellent point that I'm I'm glad we somehow started talking about. <laughs> that may have been my favorite part of the this entire podcast and I really enjoyed the entire time. So that I'm, I'm I've I've thought that but for you to 
the internal locus of control, I haven't heard that before, but the way you described it, you know, that's something I've really tried to try to strive for. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that to my attention. That's, that's great stuff. And I, and I couldn't agree more. If, if, if you don't like doing a workout, but X person said it's a great workout, it doesn't mean it's a great workout for you. And God forbid you start doing something that works for you that you maybe just started doing yourself. And that I know, I know when you do workouts, you want to be careful with form and you really don't want to hurt yourself. So maybe I don't want to promote that, but definitely, you know, find something that works for you. Well, there's always something else. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. There's yeah. always something else to do. And, and by the way, if you're listening to this and thinking, wow, I want an internal locus of control. I wish <laughs> I had that. It sounds like these two have it and I don't. Yeah. Um, everything I've learned and read about it and I, I read an obscene amount about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you knew, you'd probably um, faint. Well, it, what, one of the things that I've learned about it is that it can you can cultivate it. Mm-hmm. it. I mean, you can be inclined to have it or not, but you can cultivate it. You can develop it. It's a skill mm-hmm. to develop. And um, a lot of it is framing. Um, a, a great place to start if you're interested in this is a book called Mindset by mm-hmm. Carol Dweck. Um, I wrote about it in Foodist, but it's basically whether or not you believe you're, you personally have a fixed set of skills or whether or not you can learn and grow and develop those skills. And the, the reality is you can always learn and grow. And the more you remember that and the more you can cultivate that, the more success you'll have in your life because things won't be able to stop you. That's great stuff. You know, I think too many people think there's like this, like it's like determinate life. And they don't really have much control over it. And as you've eloquently said, maybe you do. Yeah. And, and you're a, an excellent, an excellent example. Uh, just you've overcome, I mean, you just, you turned a, what some people think is the most daunting thing in the world into like a joyous task that you love. And I commend you for that. And um, thank you so much for sharing your story with, with my listeners. Sorry, I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we can uh, talk again. Absolutely. All right, take care. All right, thank you, Dory. Thanks for listening to The Foodist Podcast. I'm Daria Rose, and if you're interested in upgrading your own health style, learning how to get healthy and lose weight without dieting and without all of the suffering that it brings, then head over to my website, Summer Tomato, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. When you sign up, you'll get a free starter kit that'll teach you the basics of how to start changing the way you think about food, health, and weight loss. You'll also get a free chapter from my book, Foodist, called The Myth of Willpower that explains the science behind why the no pain, no gain mantra of the weight loss industry is the absolute worst approach to getting healthy. So come over to Summer Tomato and sign up. We have a fantastic community and we would love love, love to have you. Thanks for listening and I will see you next time.